necessarily know what this is going to look like. We're, we're on the phone last night, just kind of, you know, I'm throwing him my notes and he's throwing me his notes and we're trying. It's like you're making soup, right? You're throwing everything in there and you're just kind of going, I hope this tastes good, right? And uh, so a little bit of different thing that we're going to do this morning, but uh, I think it'll be, it'll be beneficial and, uh, and helpful to you. You know, I have been going to church. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've been going to church since I think like a week after I was born. Uh, I was in the nursery, and um, if there's one thing that I've noticed uh, when I was in the nursery, really, I, I noticed it and I remember it, all the way up until today as a pastor, that is this, that people, Christ followers, don't necessarily always agree on things that they should do and shouldn't do, places they should go and shouldn't go, things they should listen to and shouldn't listen to, things they should drink and shouldn't drink, things they should eat and shouldn't eat, and a thousand other things that are shoulds or should nots. I've recognized that. And a lot of you have been in churches too, and you've, you've known Jesus uh, for a long time, and that's where you are too. Here's the question. What should we do about things that we don't think are sinful, but other Christians do? Are we free to just follow our own conscience, or are we somehow bound by the consciences of other people. You see how things get really messy really quickly. Most of us don't have a problem agreeing with God and what he says specifically in his word. For example, Exodus 20:15 says that we shouldn't steal, right? So most of us buy into the idea, except for Jerry. Jerry's had a problem with this in the past, but we've reformed him from that. Only stealing uh, my wife's heart. Oh, please. Excuse me, I've got to go off to the side here for just a moment. Most of us would agree that we shouldn't steal. And so if you went into Best Buy this afternoon and you somehow snuck out with an iPad uh, up your shirt, most of us would say that's wrong, that's sin, that's not a gray area. But what about those so-called gray areas? Matters of personal choice and conviction where there is no biblically correct command, right? There's nothing that God specifically says, don't do that or do this. Are we free to do whatever we want to? And are we free just to think about that, hey, it, we're, we're definitely not in sin because God's word doesn't strictly forbid it? And then what about the Christians who make personal choices and they have different preferences than we do on issues that the Bible doesn't strictly forbid? Do we give them that grace? Do we, do we give them that freedom to do that? Where do we draw the line when God hasn't drawn it for us? That really is the big question this morning, and that's what we want to address over the next two weeks. So as Brian and I talked about it, uh, you know, this is going to be some very difficult uh, issues that we're diving into. So we want to take it very, very seriously uh, because a lot of churches may not tackle stuff like this. So in order to really take something seriously, we need to have a little fun with it to start out, Right. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your hand up in the air and I want you to put out a number one through five. Just choose whatever you want, one through five, right now, go. Okay, and I want you to keep that up there because what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a little bit of kind of like a game show here. You are basically choosing right now one through five. So you are going to be choosing an issue without knowing it that you exercise a whole lot of liberty in. Okay, liberty meaning, you know what? You're okay with it, you love it, you embrace it. One through five, this is the issue that you've got liberty. You got it? 
Okay, Maestro, can I have a little game show music, please? And Vanna White, can you go ahead and put number one over here? Keep it up in the air so we can see it. Okay, go ahead, number one. That is your issue that you exercise liberty in, all right? Let's go ahead, number two. Uh, number one, we've got uh, smoking, of course. Number two, we've got drinking. How many number twos are out there? Oh, boy. I see a few of our elders out there. This is trouble. This is trouble. All right, then we've got number three over here with dancing. Who's got a number three up in the air? Oh, wow. Okay, okay. I'm not sure that you really do have liberty in that area. I'll just tell you that right now. All right, number four, we have got gambling. And number five, we have media choices, movies, music, that sort of thing. Thank you. You can cut that music off. That was beautiful. All right, so these are your issues, one through five, and we're going to start out by just kind of tackling each one of these briefly. These are the ones you've got liberty in. Tell them what it means. Yeah, briefly. That's what we're going to do. Briefly, we're going to talk about uh, these issues. You know, here's the, here's the bottom line. There are people that really love Jesus, even let's just, let's just keep it to this room this morning. There are people here that really love Jesus who have different views on these things right here. For some of you, immediately, when you saw those things come up, you got, that is not a preference. That is a conviction. And you believe that you have scripture verses to back your choice up. Really good people differ. I had number one. Now let me just tell you, smoking is not an issue for me, right? It's just never been something I've been interested in, but many people in America over the last 20, 30 years have become disgusted by the idea of smoking. Back in the 40s, back in the day, lots of people smoked. In fact, some of you remember when you were on an airline, right? It wasn't too long ago. Our kids can't even fathom that, where people were smoking cigarettes, right? You know, in the smoking section, of course, right? And that's what happened. It was just, it was like that. And now it's kind of, kind of a taboo uh, to do that. But what about a cigar the night before your wedding? What about a cigar at the birth of your first child? When you get a promotion uh, at work, uh, what about smoking a pipe while you study? And you go, well, you could, definitely couldn't study the Bible and smoke a pipe. Oh, yeah? Some of you ever heard of the guy that we quote a lot, old pastor, preacher, hellfire and brimstone guy named Charles Spurgeon? Did you ever hear of him? I read this this week. All the world knows that Mr. Spurgeon now and again enjoyed a cigar. His shrewd reply to the gentleman who had heard he smoked but could not believe it to be true and asked Mr. Spurgeon to satisfy him is choice. Here was Spurgeon's reply to him. I cultivate my flowers and burn my weeds. That's what he said, right? He felt he had total freedom in that area. But here's the question. What happens when it becomes addictive? What happens when you take it to a, a, a point where it affects your health? And ultimately, you get a disease that, that shortens your life. Is it great? Yeah. And the second one we're going to talk about is alcohol. Uh, I grew up in a culture growing up where my mom and dad never, never wanted anything to do with it. Uh, I went to a Bible college where it was strictly forbidden. First ministry that I worked in, we had to sign something saying that we weren't going to partake of it. Um, but as I grew older, there's a lot of different perspectives that, uh, that I began to understand. I served alongside many pastors that enjoyed an occasional drink or two uh, and did so to the glory of God. So as many different people we have in here, we've got that many opinions as well. Is it okay to drink at all? I, uh, I knew some people that not only was it not okay to drink, 
but even ordering something like beer-battered uh, onion rings or, you know, a pasta that had a white wine sauce. I was like, about that? No. You, you used to like that Jack Daniels sauce at TGI Fridays. I thought we weren't going to talk about that. I know, I'm just saying. I remember that. I did. I did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I even knew people that would not even go to a restaurant where there was a bar at all. I'm not talking about a sports bar. I'm talking about the Olive Garden, which you love. I do love. Any place that has a bar where there's alcohol, we don't want to see people drinking. We don't want our kids to see people drinking, essentially taking them completely out of the world. Is that the right perspective? What could the formula be? Is once a week okay? Once a month? Once a year? Only at a wedding? Only at communion? There's all different perspectives on this. And people will have scripture, supposedly, that backs up their own opinions but we know that this is an issue where principle needs to reign and not just somebody's personal opinion that they throw on everybody else yeah and and what about gambling what about gambling for a lot of us we we recognize that it can potentially be addicting and destructive in lives but what if you're skilled at a particular card game and you just happen to be on a business trip in vegas and and you just play that game and you win lots of money and you give it to the church because they're building a building. What about that then? I have people tell me all the time, if I win the lottery, and I look at them like, are you playing the lottery? I'm just saying, what if I, what if I did? What if I were to play just one time, and what if I were to win? Um, I, we heard about this uh, professor over at uh, Southeastern who had this student that was uh, really good at a particular card game, and once a year he would go to Vegas, and he would win a boatload of money, and he'd go back and pay his seminary tuition. Ah, He's somebody's pastor today. Is that okay? I remember in Bible college that we used to play this card game. Anybody play it? It's called Rook. You play Rook? Hey, there's a good idea for an event sometime. We play Rook. And even in Bible college, guys sitting around preparing to be pastors, we would gamble. We did. And I would gamble pizza. Yeah, that's what I'd do. I was a poor college student, hated the cafeteria food, and I'd gamble pizza. I was good at Rook. I won lots of pizzas as a result of playing Rook. Is that wrong? Uh, how about betting on a game? Uh, betting wings on a game. Uh, uh, what about uh, buying and selling penny stocks? What about the midway at the state fair? What about playing bingo or the lottery or a 50-50 uh, raffle at a football game? What happens when you take money that you don't have, though, and you play games of chance, whether that is in Vegas in a casino or whether it's the lottery, and then you can't meet your own financial obligations, and as a result of that, your family suffers, you suffer, your testimony suffers? See, it gets complicated. I also, uh, one, two, three, four, is this dancing right here? That's the one. Dancing, dancing. I grew up being told that good Christians don't dance. And I want to tell you this morning, I'm ticked about that. I really am. I think the real statement is Christians don't dance well. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I was told, you know, that's just something you do not do. And I bought into that until I started getting a brain and thinking for myself, right? And I remember just a few years ago, I was sharing this with Jerry this week, uh, a kid that was in uh, my student ministry asked me to do his premarital counseling, and uh, the girl that he was marrying, her youth pastor was going to actually do their wedding, but he wanted me to do their premarital counseling. He said that I was the guy that he knew would speak truth into their lives. Fancy that. And so he wanted me to do their premarital counseling, so I did his premarital counseling, spent like six or eight weeks 
uh, with them uh, two or three hours at a time and got to his wedding. And this dude could dance. I'm telling you, it was so, I, I, you know, you see these dances. I don't even dance with you. I don't but you know see what these that was all about. <laughs> you see these dances, and he started out dancing with his mom. And then all of a sudden, the music kicked up, and he lit up the dance floor. And I was sitting there as a 40-some-year-old man just going, I want to do that. Like, I want to be capable of doing that. And after he got done and we were starting to eat, I went to him and I said, Hey, West, man, I spent a lot of time counseling you, preparing you for marriage. Would you just teach me how to dance like that? <laughs> and I remember he kind of looked at me like this and went, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but I feel shorted. I feel like I wanted to dance, and I still want to dance. And Diana and I talk about going on a cruise, and we're going to go like on a three-week cruise, and by the end, we're going to really be able to dance. Is dancing okay? How about salsa dancing and ballroom dancing and swing dancing and group dancing? Is that all right? What about the typical dancing that takes place at a high school prom? Are you offended, Steve? Is that where you're, you're leaving? This is what happens. People, <laughs> I bet he can dance. Can he dance? Oh, I bet. Even though he's a homeschool kid, I bet he could dance. Yeah. Yeah. When you come back down, just uh, do a jig for us when you come down the aisle there. How about the typical dancing, though, that takes place at a high school prom? Most of you know I spent 20 years as a youth pastor. Jerry spent a lot of years as a youth pastor. We're very familiar with what takes place at most high school dances. They called it uh, dirty dancing. I referred to it sometimes when I was a youth pastor as simulated sex on a dance floor between people that aren't married. Is that okay? You see how sticky it gets? And we can go on, we got media choices, we can talk about movies. Again, the whole spectrum. Back when I was growing up, I never even went to a theater until I was a senior in high school, right? Anybody like that grew up in a conservative background? Like, you cannot go to the theater because it is bad, you're supporting the industry. But then, of course, when the VCR comes out, we got no problem going to Blockbuster and you know, nobody applies that same standard there. It's the size of the screen, you know, but even so, nobody bats an eye at that. Or some people have a standard that, uh, you know, I'm not going to go to rated R movies. Well, there's some movies that are really bad that are probably worse than what a rated R movie would be. There's some that say, I'm not watching Disney movies. I don't like the company. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like some of the choices that they've made. And it offends me that anybody would watch a Disney movie. You can see, and some people are like, I only watch Disney movies. I love Disney, you know. It's like the whole spectrum and it gets unbelievably difficult when you're trying to come up with strict answers for all of us in any of these categories. Well, as you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to dive in honestly to just one verse that's got two concepts for us that we're going to tackle this week and then we're going to tackle two more concepts next week that will help us weed through some of these difficult gray areas where the Bible is not crystal clear in the context of our culture. Just by way of a quick background, what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 6 is that, again, the church is confused, the church is messy, they're having arguments, and they're uh, being a laughingstock to the rest of the world because Christians are taking other Christians to the courts, they're having lawsuits and disagreements, and they're becoming a mockery to everybody else. They're not unified, they're not living in holiness, they're not showing deference to one another because they don't understand all of these issues. 
And Paul says over and over again that we need to grow up. He reminds them, do you not know that so-and-so? He mentions that six different times in this chapter. In other words, they've got enough knowledge, but they just do not have the proper application or wisdom of that knowledge. Now, one thing we want to recognize that will shed some light on this for us is 2,000 years ago, the culture there among the people that wanted to be serving God was largely external. There was this document, a, a giant collection of documents actually called the Talmud that was 613 laws written down. They were a collection of scripture, a collection of famous rabbis and their sayings and their opinions. So they amassed 613 specific laws. There was 248 positive ones. Here are the things you need to do. And that represented for each of the organs and bones in the human body at that time that they understood one law for each of those so that your whole body can be serving God. And there was also 365 negative commandments. How's that for a daily downer? Every single day, here's one more thing that you cannot do. But that was the Talmud. And everything was in black and white. And I want us to recognize here this morning that the reason there's maybe a little bit of unsettledness when you think about this and what we're trying to dive into, what we're trying to talk about, it's because there's safety in black and white. And back 2,000 years ago, they loved that. Oh, all these laws, you know, not to mix fabrics, okay, whatever you say, not to do this on the Sabbath, okay, fine, don't walk, you know, this amount or don't do this amount of work or don't let your animals do this or whatever, yep, okay, fine, 613, I want to follow all this because it's all set out for me in black and white so that I can prove to be holy because I've got my checklist. And the same thing is true for us today. At some levels, it would be Maybe a lot easier if God just came down and said, okay, here are my commands. Here's the modern day uh, Talmud for all of these different things and dozens of other gray areas so that you can act a certain way and be considered holy or not holy. But how did Jesus feel about that? The people that he criticized the most and got the most angry at were the ones that were following all of these externals. But what does he say to them, the scribes and the Pharisees? He says, you're like whitewashed tombs because on the outside, everything looks great. You're acting the part, but internally in the heart, it is far from me. It is wicked and full of death. So we're gonna uh, dive into these two concepts really from just one verse and unpack some of these to help us understand how to make these decisions. Yeah, and so what happens is Jesus uh, dies on the cross and as a result, we now live under grace, right? We're not under law anymore, we're under grace. And the Corinthians, many of them had come uh, to Jesus. They'd come to faith in Jesus and they loved, based on what Jerry just said, they loved this whole concept of grace, right? I mean, that's pretty awesome. We no longer have to keep all those rules and remember what they are and do all of those things, so we're under grace. And so there are four key questions that over the next two weeks, we're gonna hit two today and then Jerry's gonna hit two uh, next week, there are four key questions that are found in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, two of them there, and then we're also going to be in chapter 8 and 10 next week. We're going to take two this week. First of all, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I won't be dominated by anything. 
And the Corinthians were claiming that since they were no longer in bondage to the law, that they could do anything that they wished to do. And Paul replies, that's not how it is. You've misunderstood things. And he gives two key principles in this short verse. The first one is this, not all things are helpful or beneficial. And so the question becomes, is it helpful or is it beneficial? You have to understand, as we've talked the last several weeks, that in a sin-crazed society and culture like Corinth, the Christians there were asking Paul the question, just how free are we really, right? If you've got teenagers, uh, you understand questions like that, right? Just how far can I really go? Just how far will you let me go? They were asking things like, are we free to sin knowing that we'll be forgiven? What makes something a sin? Are we simply to be concerned about not breaking the Ten Commandments? Or are there some other things that aren't mentioned in that list of ten? Here's a key thing for you to remember. Just because something is forgivable, that doesn't make it helpful or beneficial. Just because something isn't clearly black and white, right and wrong, doesn't mean that it's helpful, doesn't mean that it's good. We have tremendous freedom when it comes to making decisions. In fact, John 8, 32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you what? Free. We enjoy freedom in Christ. We celebrate that in churches like Northwest. We celebrate it because of the the grace of God that was made possible because of the cross at Calvary. We've been set free from the penalty of sin, but we live in a world where we're constantly bombarded by, by things that appeal to our flesh. And so we find ourselves continually asking the question, can I or is it okay? Isn't that really the question that we have a tendency to ask more than anything? We ask the question when trying to decide on whether or not we should or should or shouldn't do something. We ask the question, what's wrong with it, right? That's what your kids always want to know, right? When you say you can't do that, why? What is wrong with it? Well, here's the bottom line and what Paul's trying to get at in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. That some things are harmful. Some things cause pain. All things are possible within the area of grace, but all things are not expedient. Uh, one, I think it's the, the, the King James that uses that word expedient. That word comes from a Greek word which means to profit. That's why in some of your translations it might say, all things are, are lawful, but all things are not profitable. All things are allowable, but they're still not profitable. God will forgive those things, but the price is very high. The real question really is not, is something lawful, or can I do it, or is it right? The real question is, is it beneficial, is it helpful? We may even do well to ask ourselves the question, what's right with it, right? Rather than simply what's wrong with it, what's right with it? Truly Christ-like conduct is not predicated on whether I have the right to do something, but on whether or not my conduct is beneficial to me, And this is important for you to remember, not just to me, but those who are also in my circle of influence. And so when we decide on whether or not something is beneficial, whether or not something is helpful, or whether or not something is profitable, we look at such things like physically. Just look at those things that we have listed, these five issues. Ask yourself that question. Is that beneficial? Is that helpful to me physically? For me, on a gray area such as some of these, I've looked at it in that way. I know, I've told Jerry this week, I'm a very compulsive person. If I, I, don't, I don't go just partly in. If I'm in, I'm all in. Anybody else like that? 
I don't go just part way, I go the full way. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that, that's bad. For me, I really believe if I, if, I, if I took that first puff of that cigar, for me, I'd take it to an extreme. That's not beneficial for me physically, and so I don't do that. By the way, I feel the same way for me about drinking. I know for me, because I'm compulsive, I don't want one scoop of ice cream. I'm on these diets from time to time, and they say, you can have whatever you want to have. Just do it in moderation. That does not work for me. I don't want moderation. I don't want a scoop. I want a half gallon. That's what I want. And because I know that about myself, and I know that that potentially will be harmful to me, there are things I've chosen not to do that may be wrong for me, not helpful for me, not beneficial for me, yet may be fine for you to do. Does that make sense? And so we ask ourselves, is it beneficial physically? How about spiritually? Our ultimate goal as Christ followers is to what? Is to be like Jesus. And so the question is, is this beneficial to me? Is this helpful to me in order for me to accomplish that goal that I have as a Christ follower, which is to conform myself to the image of Jesus Christ? The benefit, by the way, could just be simply enjoyment. Do I enjoy it? Do I get pleasure from it? And by the way, that's not bad. If you grew up in a situation like I did, you kind of grew up thinking, hey, if I get pleasure from it, it must be bad, right? <laughs> right? How many of you grew up like that? Yeah. And maybe some of you are still living there. You have a little bit of pleasure and you go, it must be evil. And you want to fall on your knees and confess it immediately. It could be beneficial because it is pleasurable to you. At, at the risk of offending somebody, and hopefully you'll get over that real quick because that's what this two-week series is all about, uh, there are probably some people like that that would say it's pleasurable to me to smoke a pipe sitting on my back porch. I get no pleasure from that. Maybe you do. We're made to experience pleasure, and as long as that pleasure is not feeding our sinful nature, here, make sure you hear this, I really believe that what God teaches us in his word is, that's fine. And so the first question is, is it beneficial? Is it helpful? Is it profitable? Second question that we want to dive into here from this same text, if you're taking notes, is will it enslave me? Will it enslave me? Paul continues on in verse 12. Again, this is a saying that was common amongst this whole entire church. This was kind of their mantra. Maybe they even had a song about this that they sung all the time. But you see it's in quotes, all things are lawful for me. So that was their excuse to do anything. So Paul responds to it in the first one by saying, well, not all things are helpful or beneficial, but yet they say it again. Well, all things are lawful for me. Paul says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. You need to ask yourself that question as it pertains to whatever the gray area is. Will it enslave me? Will it become a master over me? Will it get me in its grip so much so that I could lose control and no longer be in control of that, but it's in control of me? And it's really interesting that Paul would use this kind of language because notice he's using a play on words here in the Greek because he says all things are lawful for me. In other words, I've got the authority under Christ with all the freedom that we have. I have the authority to partake in any of these. I am master over them. I've got the authority over them. I can do them. But then he uses the play on words that says, but will it be a master over you. And there's a lot of questions that go into that. 
There's questions of personality, like Brian talked about. There's questions of background, family history, tendencies, affinities. And when you talk about something being master over you and addictions, we're not just talking about some of these obvious ones, like nicotine and alcohol, which certainly we could talk for a long time about all the damage that's been done over the world, all the bad decisions that have been made, all the families that have been broken, all the lives that have been taken by these types of addictions. But there's a whole lot of other insidious addictions as well for gray areas. I knew of a student that was so addicted to the video game World of Warcraft that he stole his parents' credit card, amassed thousands of dollars worth of debt on his parents' credit card, and eventually it was such an addiction, it had such a mastery over him, they had to send him away to a special boot camp for a month to detox, not from a drug, but from a different kind of drug, from a video game. It can be applied in a number of different ways. And Paul continues on here in verse 13. Again, another quote. So this is something that the Corinthians were saying. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, my body is made to want food. Amen to that. And my stomach is made for food. So why shouldn't we marry these two things together? Well, there's nothing wrong with that in the physical realm. That's needed for survival. But the Corinthians were applying it to the rest of their lives. In other words, as long as I want to do something, God gave me this desire. I desire it, so it must be okay. All things are lawful for me. But we know that that's not the case. Skip on down to verse verse 16. Paul says, do you not know that he who's joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? As it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In other words, just because you have a desire in this context, it was a sexual problem. Just because you have that legitimate desire doesn't mean that it's right. Because it's all about authority and it's all about being mastered by something. What Paul is saying here is... Our bodies, our beings, these are temples of the Holy Spirit. If we're truly living for God and he is our master, he is the one that we need to be enslaved to, not enslaved to anything else, any other addictions. So he turns around that whole concept on these people, urging them to think about who they're really serving. Now to be clear, we've been talking about gray areas, all right? be very easy uh, in a situation like this for you to go, oh, well, and so you just kind of expand that whole area, and everything becomes gray to you. We don't have freedom to sin just because we're under grace, right? In fact, the Apostle Paul made that really clear to the Romans in Romans chapter 6, that the question was asked, the rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? After all, things are lawful. Should we do that? Paul answers his own question by saying, by no means, how can we who are dead to sin, who died to sin, how can we live any longer to it? Here's the danger, though. 
and why I really wanted us to park here for a couple of weeks in the whole context of the Corinthians and the church at Corinth. It's because the danger that we face if we don't understand these principles, the danger we face is legalism. Some of us have been victims of that. This mentality says that God gave us 10 commandments, but he left out a few, and I am now his messenger to tell you what he left out, right? And so uh, I come up with a list that matches my preferences. I don't have any biblical basis necessarily for them, but I make them absolutes, and I teach them to you, and as my disciples, you become conformed to what my preferences are. And as Jerry said earlier, the comforting thing about list is that we don't have to think or exercise any kind of discernment. Jerry and I grew up in homes where we were told, don't go to movies because you're supporting a corrupt industry. How lame is that reason, right? And then as Jerry said, the VCR comes out and all of a sudden, hey, we're not supporting a corrupt industry any longer. So let's go to Blockbuster and let's load up, right? And so we took our little VHS cassettes home and we watched it. We weren't taught to be discerning about what we watched, were we? We just knew we weren't in the theater. Nobody was seeing us go into the theater wondering which movie we went to, right? So we were good boys. See, we want to teach you how to be discerning. As Jerry said earlier, there are a lot of R-rated movies that I would rather you go to than movies that are rated PG. Are you going to let Hollywood determine your rating system? You see, the bottom line is that we want to teach you how to discern rather than just simply to legislate with blanket rules that may or may not apply and may or may not be helpful. We talked about it with regards to the election last week. I don't need to tell you who to vote for. Obviously, you voted for the right people. I don't know. Did I say that? Did I I say that? All right, I should be careful. We'll lose our tax-exempt status. Um, I don't have to tell you how to vote, right? If I teach you biblical principle, you go into that little booth and you check the right boxes because you understand as a Christ follower who's passionate about the things of God and living a life that is different from what this world says is right, you know how to vote. I want to teach you to be discerning. That's what our hearts are for you, that we be people of discernment. But if we decide on liberty instead of legalism, which we will, by the way, if we choose grace over bondage, over the bondage of rules, then we're going to quickly realize that if we exercise our freedom, we have to be careful. And this is what I don't want you to miss. We have to be careful because if left unchecked, it results in behaviors that are potentially harmful to us and other people. Very important for you to remember that. In the context of the group of people that you do life with, Something that may be helpful and beneficial to you may be harmful to somebody else. And so as you have your life group uh, in your home and you don't know everybody's story and you don't know where they've been and what they've struggled with and how something might affect them, you see, if you're, if you're going to be committed to liberty, if you're going to live under grace, which we want, it means that you be discerning and that you be aware of the people that you're doing life with. In some cases, as Jerry said, we can find ourselves addicted to or controlled by something that might have a devastating consequence, not only on us, but those people that we influence. And so we're going to choose liberty over legalism. We want grace over harsh condemnation, but we have to be discerning and wise. 
And we want everything to be done. This is key. Jerry's going to talk about it next week. We want everything to be done. Everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we allow into our lives to be done out of love for Jesus and the people that we do life with. We are going to have differences. uh, But our differences don't have to divide us. And I think that's important for us to remember. Jerry, why don't you land the plane? We just want to end with uh, asking you three questions. And I'd encourage you to write these down and to really think about these, wrestle with these this week. If you're a part of a life group, which I hope you are, to, to wrestle with some of these in your life group. But as Brian and I were talking about this in our heart for our people and wanting it to be a place of, of, uh, of unity and clarity, I just want to land with these three uh, questions. Number one is, do you have personal convictions Have you gotten to the point in your spiritual life where you've really even thought through some of these things and really asked God, what would you want me to do in this situation? Because I'm I'm sure there's many that have never really thought about that. Oh, you know, I've just I've just kind of thought whatever my parents taught me or the school that I went to or whatever church I was in before, or I never really gave it much thought. Part of what we want to do in these two weeks is we want to think about this and God, convict me in these areas. Let me know, give me confidence and let me glorify you in all of these choices to live a full life and to enjoy life. But do you have that connection? Do you have personal convictions? It's not, if not, it's, it's time to open up your heart and study scripture and ask God to make these things clear to you like scripture says so you can be fully convinced in your own mind. Number two, are you willing to recognize that some of the behaviors you've been doing may not be what's best for God's kingdom? Are you willing to recognize that maybe some of the stuff that you're doing, some of the behaviors are not best for God's kingdom? That's something that we want to throw out to you so that we can constantly, all of us, humbly look to others and be careful that we're not causing someone else to stumble or to sin by what we so freely take for granted and flaunt, perhaps, without even knowing it. And number three, are you willing to live in the ocean of God's grace? Are you willing to live in the ocean of God's grace? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that there is room in here for a lot of different opinions. And what God desires from us is not that we, on the one hand of the legalist, look down judgmentally on somebody else. You're not as holy because you do that, and that's not right, and that's not right, and that's not right. And, you know, with a, with a proud arrogance, try and, you know, look down on them and judge them. There needs to be room for grace. And on the other side as well, if you're living in liberty and you don't have a whole lot of opinions about these and you're okay with, you know, living your life in a certain way and you're convinced that God's okay with it. To not flaunt that, but to have grace on somebody else who's had a different background and a different perspective and different tendencies. If we're truly going to be a body that's unified in these areas of preference and taste, we need to have an immeasurable ocean of grace with each other. But in the areas of theology and conviction and black and white, we want to hold those up as the banner that says, nope, you're not touching that one. Our statement of faith, the the truths that we rally around, those are the things that we're going to stand for and we are going to be uncompromising. In areas of preference and taste, we need to work together and have grace with each other. So I'm just going to pray over us here this morning as Bill comes out and we prepare to sing a song. 
in closing. God, I just want to come before you this morning. And Father, we are wrestling with these things. And God, I hope that you are pleased. And I hope that even through our conversation and through our communication, that your word came out clearly, God. You know that's our heart. And sometimes, all the time, your spirit is the one that needs to come and do the work in people's hearts and minds. Our words on their own are, are not going to be penetrating or convicting. God, it's your spirit that does it. So Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for this community of people that has come together. I thank you for the heartbeat that they have for their neighbors and for the world. And Lord, I just pray that you would protect this body that you would help us to have grace with one another and show love and deference to one another. We love you so much, God, and we thank you that we can gather and that we can share openly. Yes, I just thank you for teaching us this morning. Continue to teach us as we leave this place. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.